0: Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. Today is Father's Day. And uh, I remember when our first child was born. Uh, it's the only one we ever made it to the hospital for. All the rest of them were born in a van. And that's why they're called Vanderclocks, because they were born in a van. You, you knew that, though, all right? So, so the first one, we actually made it to the hospital. But, like, I mean, we got there, wheeled her in five minutes later, baby. So uh, they, I think we stayed there 12 hours, 14 hours, whatever it was, and they, they sent us home. So we get home, and, and uh, our son is not even 24 hours old. And, and I said to Jeannie, I want to take him for a walk. And I didn't know what to do, you know. So she said, okay, and we're living in Mexico, in Guadalajara, Avenida de las Rosas. And so I uh, I take little, little Joshua, and I've got him in my arms. I'm just that proud dad, and I'm walking him down the street, you know, and talking to him and showing him what's around, not that he understood anything, all right? But, but as I was doing that, I was very, very impressed by a scripture in Deuteronomy. It's the 30th chapter. It's the 19th verse. And it says, I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I've sat before you, Life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore, choose life, right? that both you and your descendants may live. And I just came to a realization, never had hit me before, that the choices that I make were not just gonna affect me and Jeannie any longer. The choices I made were gonna affect my children and my grandchildren. And even my great great grandchildren, they were gonna affect me and my descendants. And I remember thinking, I need to be a better man. I need to be a better man. And those of you that, that are parents, uh, you know how it goes. You know, everything's really great for six months, nine months, even like even a year. And then all of a sudden, that little personality starts to come out and you do not need to teach them to say no. Mine. You do not need to teach them to cry when they do not get their way. right. How many of you figured that out? That's just, that's just in there. right. And and all of a sudden you realize uh, I need to do something because this little kid's like a little terrorist in my house. All right. They're going to control this house. All right. So Proverbs 29, 17 says this. It says, discipline your children that they may give you peace of mind and will make your heart glad. So notice the Bible says to discipline your children. And and the word comes from the word disciple. It literally means to train. And and you remember Jesus said it. He said a disciple fully trained is like his teacher. So, So get this. The goal of parenting, if you do it right, your kids are going to be like you. Just like you. Now, that can be a very scary thought. (laughs) All right. And hopefully that makes us want to be better men and better women. Now, in, in the New Testament, in the book of Ephesians, there is an admonition to fathers. And on Father's Day, I thought this was a good place to start. It says fathers, and now I think it addresses fathers because we tend to do it wrong more than mothers. All right? I remember in, in our house, when it came time to discipline the children, they asked for Jeannie. All right? Because she, she just had a lot more mercy than I did, I think. All right? But it says fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So as you're training them, right, as you're admonishing them and showing them the way they should live, it says you need to be careful not to provoke them to wrath. Now the reason for that is this. If you do it wrong, your child, they, they, they close their heart to you. Right? They turn their heart away from you. And you're no longer able to be a positive influence in their life. Now, there's really only four things, main things, that, that this is talking about when it says don't provoke your children to wrath. All right? The first one's very simple: it's punishing in anger. All right? The Bible never talks about punishing your children, it talks about disciplining or correcting in love. Right? You see, if if you wait until you're mad, right? You wait until you're angry, right? You're not going to correct in love. You're going to punish, right? And you're never to punish. You're to correct in love. It's because you love them. You're trying to teach them there's a right and there's a wrong. There's consequences for doing what's wrong, right? So you never punish in anger. You only correct in love. Punishing in anger closes the child's heart to you. Secondly, it's being unreasonable, and when, when I say that's what I mean, as, as our children get older and older, the goal is that they leave. All right. I, I know that some of them aren't doing that any longer. You know, they're 30 and they're living in the basement playing video games. Right. But, but the goal is that, that they, they grow up. All right. And you have taught them how to live, how to make right choices. And they leave and they go out on their own. All right? But what happens sometimes is what parents do is they don't ever want to cut that apron string at all. And they've got a 15-year-old that they're treating like a 10-year-old. So what you want to do is you want to be giving them, as they show themselves able, you want to give them more and more responsibility, more and more freedom, so when they hit that age, whether it's 18 or 21, whatever it is, that they move out, they're ready. right? But if you refuse to give them more and more freedom and responsibility as they prove themselves able to handle it, what, what happens is literally your children, again, they take their heart and they turn it away from you and they won't receive from you any longer. The third is being hypocritical. Now, that just simply means you say one thing, but you don't live it. Right? You're, you're telling them you do it, but you're not doing it. So in Genesis 18, verse 19, It says this, this is God talking about Abraham. It says, For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that he may keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. Now, the Bible tells us that Abraham is the father of the faith. Now, I always thought God just chose Abraham because of his faith. But if you look at this verse, It says that God chose Abraham because he knew that Abraham would command his household after him. In other words, Abraham was going to live it, but then he was going to bring his household along with him. And that's why God chose him. That's why God was able to do for Abraham what God had spoken to him. So we can say it like this. Albert Schweitzer said, Example is not the main thing in life. It's the only thing. When, when, when we're going to train our children, we need to live the way that we're training them. In Deuteronomy 6, it says, These things that I command you today shall be in your heart, and then you shall teach them diligently to your children. You can only uh, teach your children what's in your heart. Right? They can listen to what you say, right? but you're going to reproduce what you are. Right. I think it's interesting when you talk about the purpose of marriage. If you'd ask people, right, you get a lot of different answers. You know, companionship, to have a family, to not, you know, be lonely for pleasure. But God actually says that in, in Malachi 2, the purpose of marriage, he says, Why one? Why marriage? He seeks godly offspring. God is looking for godly children. He wants us to take the faith that is in our heart and pass that faith on to our children. Right? And the fourth thing that causes a child to literally close their heart to you is when you refuse to admit you're wrong. Refuse to admit it. Right? By the way, when you tell them I was wrong, that is not when they find out. They, they knew beforehand. Right? And everybody makes mistakes. Everybody. You realize kids do not come with a manual. You wish they did. Now, I remember, I don't remember exactly how old Daniel was. Was he 15, 16 years old, something like that? Maybe 14. Okay. Jeannie says 14, and she always has the details right. All right. But uh, he wanted to do something, and I do not to this day remember what it was that he wanted to do. But I just didn't think it was a good place for him to go or to be. And so I said no, and he was not happy about it at all, right? He got kind of red in the face, and he told us, he said, I just want you to know the reason I am turning out so good is not because you're perfect parents. It's because I love God. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We were not perfect parents. You're not perfect parents. All right? And when you tell your kids, it's not when they find out that you're not. Right? But yet when we act like we are, it can turn their hearts away from us. Now, it's interesting that Jesus refers to God as a father. And so often, and we're supposed to see God as a father, but we also tend to see God through the eyes that we see our earthly father through and sometimes that's good but some of us have had earthly fathers that weren't the greatest right some of them were abusive some were absent some abandoned us were selfish distant and we tend to see god that way but god jesus is telling us he god wants us to relate to him as a father and no matter what your earthly father was like our heavenly father is perfect our heavenly father loves us. In fact, Jesus in John 17 is praying and he makes this statement and have loved them. That's you. He says, as you have loved me. So Jesus said, God, the father loves you exactly the same as he loves Jesus. You know, God practices what he preaches. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. And God actually does it. You know, there's a lot of ways that we can miss it as fathers. Uh, I just wanted to mention one man in the Bible who, who really missed it. His name was Jephthah. And in a little history, uh, his mother was like a concubine. And the rest of the family absolutely rejected him. And, and they literally chased him out of town and said, we want nothing to do with you. You're getting none of the inheritance. And the result was that that rejection just made him want to succeed. And, and to, to succeed, to be successful was just a driving, driving force in his life. And when a war came, the very people that had rejected him, that had chased him out of town, they came to him and said, hey, we need your help. Would you please lead us into battle? And and he said, well, he said, if I do this and I have success, he said, then I'm going to be the head of this entire group, this entire area. And they said, fine, fine. And so he, he goes to God, he makes a vow, right? And he said, God, if you will help me defeat this enemy, He said, whatever comes out of my house when I return, I will sacrifice that to you. Well, God gives him success. And when he comes back, his only daughter, his only child comes out to meet him. And what what I want to drive home to you is this. That sometimes we are seeking success, status, position, money, fame, influence. To the point that we neglect the most important Thing in our life, you may have been brought up poor, and you just said, "You know, I'm going to be rich. I'm going to be a success. I'm going to make it. I'm going to have influence. I'm going to become famous." And what happens is you cheat. You cheat someplace. Everybody, I think, cheats someplace, right? But but where you need to cheat is you need to cheat when it comes to entertainment, when it comes to sports, when it comes to hobbies when it comes to friends, when it comes to work, but the place you never want to cheat your time is with your family. They need to be the most important thing. Nobody's on their deathbed and says, oh, I just wish I'd worked more. When, when, When you're looking back at your life and evaluating your life, you're going to go, it was relationships, it was families, right? Jesus said to count the cost. Before you start to build or you'll be considered a fool. And you need to count the cost of the things that you're doing with your life. Are you investing the time the way that you should? i tell you what. Children grow up so fast and they're gone. I have a hard time believing our youngest child is 29. I'm only 33. I mean, that's what I feel like. That's what I think. I mean, time just went bang, bam, and they were gone. All right. In the early days of America, there was a a man who moved from the East Coast to Missouri. He had gotten his master's degree from Georgetown University. Uh, He established, helped establish William Jules College. was on the board of trustees, was a circuit rider, minister, established a lot of churches. But as a result, he was gone from home most of the time. His wife and his little kids hardly saw him, but he was doing great work. He was a pastor, an evangelist, a farmer, a community leader, uh, supposedly one of the great preachers. He became very, very well known all right, in the state of Missouri. It was said, you listen to one of his sermons, you'd remember it the rest of your life. But he wrongly believed that being gone from home and doing good things, that there would be no penalty, there would be no consequences with his family. Again, very, very famous during his life in the state of Missouri, but two of his sons became even more famous or infamous, Frank and Jesse, Frank and Jesse James. Their father was an evangelist. He was a well-known preacher on the board of trustees of one of the, 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 the premier colleges of the area, but his son's ended up robbing, murdering, plundering and pillaging. And they were the they were created by an absentee father. And time really is the greatest measure unit of measure when it comes to love. The time that we spend. And again, you're going to cheat somewhere, cheat work, cheat hobbies, cheat your sports, your friends, but don't cheat at home. Don't short your spouse. Don't short your family. All right. Now, we've had both sons and daughters, and um, they're, they're very different. All right? By the time a, kid, a boy is three years old, they're competing with you. Right? Okay, Dad, lay down. Okay, we're going to arm wrestle. I'm going to beat you. All right? They're, they're, trying to prove, they're trying to prove themselves. Now, girls, they just love you. They just love you. And what a, what a young man needs is different than what a young woman needs. What a boy needs is different than what a girl needs. What a man needs is different than what a woman needs. Your daughters, they just need a lots of love, acceptance, attention, a lots of, of uh, hugs. I remember as uh, our daughter was growing up, we used to have our dates. right? And I'd take her on a date. And sometimes we'd go to a movie. Sometimes we'd go shopping. Sometimes we'd go out to eat. There was a church about 30 miles from here that had some rocking music. And she just loved their music. Well, our service was done about 620. Theirs didn't start till 630. We'd get in the car, go out there. They had an hour of praise and worship. And, and we'd go out there, and uh, she, that's just what she wanted to do. Whatever she wanted to do, that's what we'd do. But what I'd do is I'd open the door for her. You know? I would show her how a man is supposed to treat a woman. So that later on, if there was a guy who showed up and he was subpar, she'd know, right? And she wouldn't be looking for love and acceptance and attention in the wrong ways and in the wrong places. Right? She just needed love. Now, back to Genesis 18 about parenting. God says, for I know him in order that he may command his children, his household after him, that they may keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice. Right? Now, here's what he did. He commanded... He commanded his household after him, his children and his household. You say, what does that mean? That means he made the right choices for them. He did not give them opportunity. He did not say, do you want to go to church? Do you want to go to youth group? He told them, you're going and you're going and you're going. All right. And what he did by doing that, he put them in the right places. But what he did was he taught them to make right choices. He taught them to prioritize. Right? You know, if you say, hey, it's a nice day, I'm going to skip church, we're going to go to the lake, we're going to go golfing. You know what you're teaching your children? That fun is more important than seeking the kingdom of God. That family time is more important than seeking the kingdom. Right? And we need to protect our children from wrong and bad influences. I think it is so interesting that not far from where Abraham was, there was his nephew, Lot. They would have been his, his son Isaac's his cousins were over there, all right? But they were living in the city of Sodom. And the Bible says that the city was extremely wicked before the Lord. And not one time do we find in the Bible where Abraham took his son down there, right, to hang around with his cousins to be in that place. Uh, he made sure that Isaac was surrounded by good influences, And, of course, what happened, well, Saul, excuse me, Lot's daughters are affected by the city that they're living in. They end up committing incest, all right? Now, we need to know who our children are hanging out with and what they're doing. Now, somebody said, well, I want my children to influence other people, and that's good. That should happen, all right? But when that happens, if your children are hanging around with somebody who you're wondering about, You're not sure they're going to be a positive influence. You need to make sure that there is a spiritual element to their relationship. You say, what does that mean? That means you need to make sure that they come to youth group. You need to make sure they're in a prayer meeting together. You need to make sure there is a spiritual element to that relationship. Now, I want to read you a little bit from Haggai. And uh, while I do that, Matt and Jake, come on up here. I'm going to use these guys as an illustration in just a moment. But it says, if one carries holy meat in the fold of his garment." And the ed- but the edge, he touches bread or stew or wine or oil or any food, will it become holy? And the priest said no. So he says, if you've got something holy, right, and it touches something that's not holy, will the holy make the unholy holy? Answer, no. But then he says, but if you have one who is unclean, and he touches any of these, the bread the stew, the wine, the oil, or the food, will it be unclean? And the priest said, it will be unclean. So he said, but if you've got something that's unclean and it touches something else, it will pervert or it will cause to be unclean what it touches. So here's what it's saying. It's saying it's much easier to pull somebody down spiritually and morally than it is to lift somebody up spiritually or morally. These guys are going to give us an illustration here. Matt, I want you to bring yank, yank, bring Jake Jake on up. Bring him up. Lift him up here, would you? Get him up on the stage. Just lift him up. Get him up here, you wimp. Come on. Come on. Oh, he can't even entice him with a $20 bill. All right. Jake, see if you can get Matt down. Now, did you notice how easy it was to get Matt down? And how hard it was to get Jacob. That's what it's like spiritually. It's so much easier to get pulled down than it is to pull somebody up. And with our children, we need to be sure that they're in an atmosphere. They're not going to get contaminated. Make sure that there is a spiritual element to the relationship. Even if that person is, is, comes from a, a totally secular home, you make sure that you put a spiritual element into that relationship. Right? And then I wanted to mention this. Do not have a child-based home. Now, I know this is going to be very unpopular, but I really believe this needs to be said. Please do not email me. I've already got some. All right? The Bible says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I believe this. The devil is weakening families through busyness, through activity. None of the activities are bad, but we're just so busy, right, that we do not have family time. It is rare for a family not to sit down and even have a meal together. It's a rare thing, right? Right. Uh, I see families, they're, 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 they're out of church for, for all the time because of activity, 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 all right? Got their, they've got their kids in sports. They're in basketball, football, baseball, soccer, hockey, dance, music. They're doing everything, right? And I, none of those things are wrong, and I'm not saying don't do any of them. But when you get so busy, right, that you do not have time as a family, it's wrong. You are sowing seed that you do not want to reap a harvest from. Twenty years from now, all that sports is going to be gone, and the effect, the residual, is going to be zero. Right? Listen listen to me. What you want is when your kids become adults, you want to be their friend when they become adults. Right? And the way that you do that is you train them right, and you have family time with them, right? And if you do not have that, the day's going to come, those kids are going to grow up and they're going to be gone, and there's not going to be that relationship that you want. If you're staying so busy that you have no family time and you have no time to seek God as a family, to put seeking the kingdom of God first, you are too busy. And listen, culture, I know what culture is telling you. You've got to have your kids in every single thing that's going on all around you. And again, I believe that it is a strategy that the enemy is using, all right, to weaken families, all right, to weaken us spiritually and to weaken that family tie. Look, if you want, when your kids are 25 years old, for them to want to hang around with you, you've got to spend time with them now and not time hauling them here and hauling them there and watching them do a sport. You need to spend time with your children. All right? I know that's not popular, but it's just true. All right. And then lastly as parents. I just want you to realize how fast our culture is changing. All right? It is changing uh, uh, so quickly. All right? Even three years ago, I, can, I, I could not imagine that some of the things that are going on in our culture would be happening, all right? Now, if you want your children to be pure, you're gonna get no help from culture, from school, from movies, and from literature, all right? Uh, in fact, I'm gonna to recommend to you a book, and I want, I, I, if you're over 25, I wanna recommend this book to you, I Parent, all right? I wanna give you one quote. Adolescent sexuality no longer requires an exclusive relationship. Any casual acquaintance will do. Now, I know I'm older than many of you, but when I was growing up, all right, there was a, a commitment and a love relationship, and then there was a sexual relationship. That is no longer true, right? I, I have parents, I've heard them say this, well, you know, I'm just so glad my kids aren't dating. They don't need to be dating, All right. Adolescent sexuality no longer requires an exclusive relationship. Any casual acquaintance will do. All right? The the, the things that are happening in our society are so different from what happened 20 years ago, 15 years ago, even 10 years ago. There is such a change. All right? And what we need to do, we need to be praying for our young people. We need to be monitoring what's going on with our young people, you know, because society is telling them sex is nothing but a physical experience, is no different than eating a meal, not realizing it fragments your soul. All right. The, the mystery is gone. First Corinthians chapter 6 literally says that when there's sexual relationship, you become the same body or the same slave, if you look in the Greek, the same slave. There is this transference that takes place. All right. And uh, I just want to encourage you, all right, bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord and be informed about what's going on in our culture today, all right? Then just one little last thing, all right? I mentioned daughters and sons, they're very, very different. Every time I listen to Jeannie on the phone or she calls me on the phone, I mean, she ends all her conversations the same way. I love you. I love you. I love you. We love you. I love you. You know, and that's great. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 tells the husband to love his wife like Christ loved the church. But then, this, listen, it also makes this statement. It says, and let the wife see to it that she respects or honors her husband. All right. A woman's greatest need is love. But a man's greatest need is not love. A man's greatest need is honor or respect. All right. Now. That, that's, that's what, that's, that is what opens a man's heart, right? That's what a man goes after. Uh, I go in, I've got grandsons, granddaughters. When I'm with my granddaughters and I see them, I tell them I love them, all right? But when I'm with my grandsons, I don't care tell them I love them, they could care less, all right? You know what I tell them? I said, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. I respect you. Uh, not yesterday, Friday, I was over at uh, Daniel and Amanda's house they got three little boys. Two of them are big enough running around. One's three, one's five, all right? And they come and see me, all right? And you know what they say? Papa, look at my muscles. I'm strong. I can protect mama, you know? Like, oh, yeah. Like, I'm trying to find. I think he's five and weighs 33, you know? I'm like, where's that muscle at, you know? Go down there, got to reach down and find. It. But you know what he's looking for? He's looking for honor. He's looking for respect. I remember as our, our boys were growing up, um, Jeannie became very frustrated, right? Because what she was doing without realizing it, she wasn't giving them honor, all right? Now, you say a man's need, but, but how many of you know boys are their little men, right? And I remember these, these guys, they get to be 10, 12 years old, and, and Jeannie would want to tell them what to do. She'd want to tell them how to do it and then help them, and they would just get so frustrated, all right? They just wanted to do it themselves and then have her say, oh, you did great. And they're like, Right. That's right, I did it all by myself. All right? In fact, my, my little grandson, Benai, he's like, when he was like four years old, his favorite thing was, by myself. All right? So that little girl needs hugs, love, attention, affection. But that little boy, that little boy, he's looking to hear you're proud of him. Right? right? You're proud. He's looking for respect, right? And you say, how do I respect that little guy? I mean, what has he done to be respected? Let me ask you a question. Now, when, when, when God says to a man, he says, love your wife, uh, how many of you know he doesn't say because? She's this, that, because she's a good cook, a good mother, beautiful, because this, because that. How many of you know you just love them because? Not because of what they do, just because. That's what she needs, because of her innate value and beauty. And the same thing is true. You know, when it comes to a husband, I've had ladies say, Well, when he does something that I can respect him, I'll respect him. No, you just begin to respect him. You can find something that you're, you appreciate, something that you're proud of, and you let him know. And the same thing when it comes to our daughters, they need that love, affection, attention, and hugs. And our little men, They're looking for respect. They're looking for honor. And they'll just show right up, all proud. All right. Would you please bow your heads for just a moment? The Bible says, as we all know, that God sits high. But it says that he watches low. And there is no spot in your life, no time, where he does not know Every problem, difficulty, every situation, every hurt, every rejection, every addiction, every hurt, every sorrow, every bit of pain. In fact, the Bible says he is touched by our feelings. When when you're going through something, when you're feeling something, when your heart is broken, when you're desperate, God feels that. God knows that. And because of that, Jesus said, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, whatever that situation is. He said, you weren't created to go through that alone. And he's there, and he says, you come to me. I have forgiveness. I have freedom from an addiction. I have healing for your soul. I have hope for your future. And literally, it says in Hebrews, he has help for every need Jesus said this he said the thief, the devil he only comes to steal to kill and to destroy he said but I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly and if you're here today you're away from God you need forgiveness, you need to get back to God you need to get right with God I'm going to count to three, when I say three would you please lift your hand give me the, the privilege of praying with you and God is going to meet you right here in this place today. And what's going to happen is that thief, his influence is your, in your life, is going to begin to be broken. And you're going to begin to live that abundant life that Jesus came for you to have. Now, as you lift your hand, the first thing you're saying is, God, I know I need a Savior. I need forgiveness. And I'm coming to Jesus today to be forgiven and to be saved. One. One. You're saying to God as you lift your hand, I'm not going to let the devil steal, kill, and destroy my life and my family one more day. I'm coming to Jesus, and I'm going to receive the abundant life too. Now get ready. As you lift your hand, you're saying, today I'm receiving Jesus. He's going to come into my heart. He's going to blood wash me from my sin. My past is going to be gone. He's going to make me new on the inside, a part of your family on my way to heaven. Three, lift that hand up. Lift it up. Say, pray with me. I'm not right. I want to get right. Thank you. I see that hand and that hand and that hand and that hand. Are there others? Just say, lift it up. Lift it high. Thank you. God bless you. Someone else. Thank you. God bless you. Are there others? Thank you. God bless you. And God bless you way in the back. Anyone else? Thank you. I'm going to ask everybody to stand, but nobody moving unless you absolutely need to. But if you lifted your hand, please look right at me, whether you're on the main floor or up in the balcony. Would you move to the aisle that's nearest you? Now bring whatever you brought. Bring the person you came with, but make your way right down here. We're going to pray. God is going to meet you right here. We are going to say amen in just a moment. When we say amen, your past, it will be gone. You're going to be right with God. He's going to make you new on the inside, take you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of His love from the balcony. Please, make your way down. We'll wait for you. We'll wait. We'll pray. A miracle is going to happen in your life, and you will not be the same. And we're clapping because we're glad. But the Bible says in heaven, the angels, they're rejoicing. And I know that they even get a lot more excited than we get. Thank you, girls. Come on down. Come right down. Awesome. Awesome. Are they making it? All right. Awesome. Great. Now, Romans chapter 10. This is what it says. This is verse 13. It says, whosoever. That means this. This is going to work for you. You know, In your mind, you may say, well, I did this, I did that. The devil will tell you this won't work for you. He's a liar. God said, this will work for you. He said, we'll call on the name of the Lord. Now, we're going to call on his name the way the Bible shows us to. And this is God's promise to you. We'll be saved. So when we say amen, forgiven. Your past is gone. All right? You're going to be right with God. Doesn't matter what it is, it's gone. All right? You're going to be right with God right he's going to come in he's going to give you a new heart right this is a great day this is the beginning of walking in that abundant life awesome all the way from the balcony thank you thank you for coming down all right would everybody please take one hand put it over your heart lift your other hand towards heaven and let's pray this prayer make these words your own say oh god i believe jesus died on the cross I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I surrender to him today all of my heart and all of my life. I'm going to live for him every day. And I thank you, you have heard my prayer that you blood washed me from my sin, that my past is gone. That you make me new on the inside, a part of your family, on my way to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome! 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 Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616-534-4923 or visit us at reslife.org.